Love you, Marco. Uh, more impressions, please. <laughs> I like your stuff. It's much more spicy and interesting. Where the hell did that come from? Oh, I love you, Marco. Oh, my God. You're a great interviewer, great conversationalist. I just never forgot you. <laughs> Babble Bullshit and Beyond is a new podcast hosted by me, Marco Kiris. A man coming out of the shadows after a long decade working with Nicolas Cage, or as I like to call it, my cage wage world. Just some fluff and then some stuff on the party that unites us through pop and all things Hollywood. On today's show, we have stage manager Nick Jorgesis, a 30-year veteran of TV talk shows, award shows, and sporting events. We caught up with him in Sweet Home Chicago. So on today's show, we have Nick uh, Jorguzis, a stage manager from uh, Chicago, but travels around uh, North America in this position. And uh, as I believe it's a freelance position, but kind of owns it on his own right. Nick, first of all, welcome to the show. I really appreciate you being on. Well, thank you, Marco. It's good to be here with you. I love Chicago. Uh, It's my favorite American city. I've uh, shot two films in Chicago, Nick, one with Nick Cage and one with somebody else in an indie film. But the one I did uh, when I was in Chicago in 2004 was The Weatherman with Cage and Michael Caine. Uh, I'm not sure if you were there at the time, but that was what we were filming uh, in the winter of 90 of, of 2004. Yes. I, I, in fact, I do remember uh, them using um, WGN yeah. here in Chicago to, for some of the sets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so funny because I remember being in that studio. That was a really nice TV studio. Yes. Uh, in fact, the weatherman that he was uh, supposedly emulating is still the weatherman here. No. <laughs> I think he just turned like 69. Still on every day. Really? That's really fascinating. I think that he was there because I remember Brian Gumble, the anchorman, had a cameo in, in Chicago for, for the film. And I think your weatherman was helping Nick Cage be a weatherman. I think you're right. I think I do remember that because uh, I think I've even spoke to him about him at the time. Mm-hmm. His name His name is Tom Skilling. Okay. Yeah. I, I remember I'd heard that, but now that you brought back that memory, it was probably that guy. Cause I remember the studios and they did have the actual weatherman of that particular studio. So I'm glad you've clarified that. How funny. <laughs> yeah, that was. I always wanted to be a weatherman when I was a kid. I'm a weather junkie to this day. I stare at the weather all day. It's kind of weird to be at this age and still be fascinated by weather. I don't know the technical side of it, but I love weather. And I always thought about being a weatherman when I was a kid. And for years and years and years, even as a teenager, and uh, now there's a whole weather network and weather is the biggest thing since sliced bread. And Chicago is the weather epicenter of North America. And it's funny that we shot the weatherman in the epicenter. Well, yeah, Chicago's famous for its weather. You know, they say, if uh, you don't like the weather, wait five minutes, it'll change. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's pretty much what's happening. So now you're going to clarify. Now, I'm Greek-Canadian. You're Greek-American. Correct. Usually I'm much better with the names, but I actually kind of messed it up because I was going to do it in a Greek style, the pronunciation of your name. But I want to hear your version of your name in American, and then I want to hear the Greek version. Uh, in English, it's Georgesis. Georgesis, Okay. That makes sense. Exactly. It's phonetically uh, pronounced. Yes. Uh, in Greek, they would call it Yagusis. Yagusis. Okay. That sounds, uh, that's, that's kind of, so I was kind of in between that. I was kind of playing the Gringlish mode uh, <laughs> when I introduced you. So I, I'm good at being Gringlish Goomba guy. So I, I, I'm, I'm playing that. But yes, that's exactly the way I would say it if I was going to say it in English. And you're from Chicago, correct? 
Correct. Correct. Yes. Okay. Born and bred here. Yes. Okay. And I'm in the sister city, Toronto, which is, uh, you know, Chicago of the North, basically the younger it version. Is. I do love uh, Toronto. It's a great city. It is. It's a good city, but I, I've always been in love with Chicago too. It's, it's, you know, just older. It's got more character. I love the river there. I like, you know, the architectural tours with the boats and, you know, it's just, it's a great city in the tulips in the springtime along Michigan Avenue. Phenomenal. Yeah. None of that happened this year. They didn't even bother to plant. Really? It's, yeah. But well, I, I, you know, with the with the pandemic, they had there was nobody down there. There's still nobody down there, really. Yeah. Well, that's a little uh, silly, I think. You know, you can't plant tulips and stuff, and you know, a lot of that is it's a little over the top, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe it's a good thing in hindsight because uh, the, you know the riots and the protesting. Yeah. Uh, that would have had an effect on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Nick, let's get on to a more fun thing, which is your career as a uh, stage manager of 30 years. Is that correct? 30 years stage managing, uh, also associate director and done a lot of editing for, for sports broadcasts and that kind of stuff. It varies, but wherever I can find myself a whole, I, I haven't had a full-time job in 30 years and I've been able to make a living at this. Wow. Wow, that's really, and, and in Chicago, no less. Like it wasn't even L.A. And you're based in Chicago. I'm based in Chicago. Uh, during, um, you know, the 90s and most of uh, the first half of the century, we were doing a lot of talk shows here. We had a lot of entertainment here mm-hmm. and uh, and sports. It's a big sports town. Uh, you, you could be working every night of the week doing Hawks or Bulls or Cubs or White Sox. Mm-hmm. They, you know, somebody's around. I mean, not this time, but yeah. most most years, Yeah, you're very busy. It's a very active city, uh, Nick, and, and having been there on and off for, for, for years in both entertainment and in sports, just like Toronto. It, it really is. They're very busy in those departments. But way back then, it was like the talk. Well, I'm going to say, was it the 90s? It was the talk show capital of America, I think. Every talk show from the, you know, from, from Oprah to Jenny Jones to Jerry Springer to, to everything. Tell me, how do you beat out other people to work on a certain show? Like, let's call it Jenny Jones. You did Jenny Jones, right? Yes. Yes. Um, you know, it's uh, being at the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, when that show first started, it was, uh, I believe it was 1991, mm. and uh, they brought all the bigwigs in from uh, Telepictures and Warner Brothers who were financing the show, and they said to us in Chicago, we have this new show coming. Uh, this talk show host, her name is Jenny Jones. I never heard of her. So everybody was interviewing for, these, for a talk show job that mm. we had no idea if it was going to work or not. And the first go around, uh, they didn't hire me. Mm-hmm. And they had my name, but they didn't hire me. And when I first saw the show come out, I'm like, oh, my God, this show's not going to last at all. And it ended It ended up going 12 years. <laughs> oh, my God. So let me ask you. So they didn't hire you the first time around. They obviously hired another stage. Were you a stage manager at the time? Were you like a? a yes. Next? Yes. And so obviously the, the person prior to you didn't work out for maybe a couple of episodes before they decided upon you. Would that be right? Oh, I, I actually, I showed up in season five. Oh, wow. I tried from the get-go, but I never got the job until season five. Hmm. So it was a bit of perseverance. I always would call and put my name in. Yeah. I got lucky. One of my uh, friends that I was working with in 1996 Olympics in Atlanta, mm-hmm. he, w- he was on the crew and he was the technical director for the show. And uh, I, we were doing gymnastics. 
We did all the gymnastics and he was going back home. I was staying for boxing. So I was moving over to a different venue to do the, the metal rounds for boxing. Hmm. While I'm still there, it was like the following week. And he's like calling me saying, hey, we need you. Hmm. Now, the fact that he knew me helped me get in, you know, because yeah. even though I, I was still contacting that same person, that person now got a word you know, from my, uh, from this guy, Neil, that, that she works with. Oh, okay. Call Nick. Boom. Next thing you know, I'm there. And I was there for the next seven seasons. Wow. So it's not through an agency. So you don't work through an agent. You're all freelancers then. It's all for, yeah, we're all freelancers. I mean, it used to be all, you know, independent contractors right now mm-hmm. we're freelance. Okay. Now they want to consider us employees, but we're really not because we still work for everybody. And do you, Nick, when you, when you show up there, do you work with a, with your own crew or do you, um, are you adaptable to their crews? And you're kind of like the head guy. Yeah. I'll be the head guy on the floor mm-hmm. and make sure everything's going on. But everybody else, the camera guys and audio guys and the stage hands, I, I know them. I mean, and I knew them previous okay. because I'd either worked with them on different shows before that. I see. So it was, I, I didn't have to bring in any of my own personnel. They, they were, they were set. Okay. Like a director of a film. It's basically you're the, you're the director of the film. The crew's already set up through other people. Right. So right. you're in there. And what do you do exactly for people like me who don't know? Cause I, I understand the film business now fairly well. When you're on a show like Jenny Jones and they're going to, uh, do they go through a bunch of rehearsals or is it, or, or do they actually tape a show and, and everything is kind of like pins and needles and you do several <laughs> takes. Like how does it work on a talk show host? Like I've watched a lot of these shows, including her show. And you know, these are these half hour shows or one hour shows, but what does it take to tape it? We would do two shows a day, three days a week. We do about 200 shows a year. Wait, two shows a day. Yes. Three days a week. Wow. So, and, and, uh, almost within eight hours, you know, hmm. and with rehearsals. Now, Jenny Jones was a unique show because you weren't dealing with uh, celebrity driven type formats. Mm-hmm. Our, our shows were kind of insane. They were regular people who uh, we would do uh, out of control teens. Mm-hmm. And this would be a bunch of teens that I'd have to pre-rehearse and tell them how to walk on the stage because they would be cued on mm-hmm. and they would have to take a seat. So I'd have to show them where they're going to sit. Sometimes these kids were, you know, out of control, out of control. Yeah. Or, or uh, in the same respect, there'd be a days when it would be, you know, girls, it would be like totally inappropriate now, but they would be stripper makeovers. Mm-hmm. And we, we bring in all these strippers and they would be dressed like strippers. And then we take them all out and then dress them up really nice, have a whole costume change, uh, celebrity wardrobes, hair, you know, the whole nine yards. They come back out, dress really nice. Wow. So <laughs> that, so what you're saying is that, so that show would have taken four hours and then you have another show on the same day to do another four hours to get them in, get them out, hair, makeup, wardrobe, a break in between, a little, you know, a bathroom break for the audience who, who sit through these shows. And it's, you're basically oh, we, like, we have, no, we, We'd have two full different audiences. Wow. Because it was popular. The show was popular. You know, Jenny, she had like 10 million viewers. So she was very popular in Chicago. Wow. And in the same building uh, was Jerry Springer. Mm -hmm. On Tuesdays, we would have the studio from eight in the morning till four. He was in the studio next door and he would do a night show on Tuesday nights. Oh, wow. But he needed, he would need a couple of our cameras to be over there because 
Well, this was in the NBC tower. NBC didn't have that many cameras. Mm -hmm. They would wheel over a camera. So if we went late, there'd be a lot of Springer people all over the place going, we got to go. We got to go. You know, they were loading their audience while we're still unloading our audience. Oh, my God. That's great. You know, you know, there was a Springer show going by. I'd walk in the hallway and it'd be all all these midgets would be walking around. Little people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how it was back then. Today's a different world and it's a different dictionary, which we understand. And we're older people. So we go with the older school. But we understand that today's world is, you know, little people and that's fine too but uh wow so so it was crazy because these are like regular talk show hosts with regular people it wasn't like the oprah winfrey show well even she had a lot of regular people and she also had her celebs she did but she was mostly you know in her later years she was mostly all celebrity driven she didn't do those kind of crazy type talk shows yeah you know you're too fat for that yeah yeah uh, (laughs) Yeah. she had serious people that weren't silly subjects but she had she had you know well-to-do entrepreneurs of some sort, you know, inspirational figures and and book writers and peace advocates and so forth, which is great. And then Springer and Jenny Jones had like the wild bunch was showing up from middle America. Well, Oprah did start out that way with the wild bunch. Mm -hmm. And then, and then she's, you know, and then she got away from it and Springer and uh, Jenny came up and Things got things got crazy. Oh yeah, especially with Springer. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember a lot of those episodes watching. I couldn't believe that they were real. I used to think that they were staged, and a lot of it, Nick, was actually real. They were like there were a lot of crazy people with a lot of crazy issues, and they were out of control because yes. they weren't actors. They were just kind of like telling you their nutcase stories from wherever they were coming from. Right, right, and 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 it's, and it's sad in a way. Uh, uh, especially like on our show, especially when we would do those out of control teens and we'd have the, the boot camp guys show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raymond Mosley was this boot camp director for uh, mm-hmm. wayward teens. And uh, these kids were so lost sometimes that they were like, they were wanting to go to military camp, uh, you know, wow. just to get away from their uh, dysfunctional families. That's that's a lot of the military was like that. A lot of people were very dysfunctional from various parts of the country. They did get the they did go to the military, though, Nick, to to uh, discipline themselves and to learn discipline. A lot of their parents would send them off to uh, to to military. Right. Right. So we did a lot of those uh, with those out of control teens and a lot of them turned out to be all right. Mm -hmm. You know, it it helped them out. Wow. You just need to you just need you need need to push in the right direction. You know. Yeah. And, And, you know. In their defense, people need that just generally speaking. I mean, I needed that a lot as well. And I ended up in the film business, which was like a military camp, in my opinion. And, uh, and you couldn't veer away from the hours of, of operation. You just kind of like paid attention and you worked the hours that they told you. So it was it set me straight in terms of, of uh, discipline because I didn't have discipline. I was a waiter prior to that. So it, it really helps. So these kids learned their their ropes they they learned from being in the military so good on them so maybe the shows were pretty good for for certain people the shows were the shows were but mostly you know it was it was it was it was, it was fun it was to have fun yeah uh people made fun of other people uh, those were the times sometimes it was a little it was a little mean-spirited but yeah you know, we didn't mean anything by it. Yeah, but that's how those times were. Like, that was the world. That was 20 years ago, and it was a very different right. planet than it is today. Today, you can't talk about oh. somebody's, you know, s- um, space teeth. that You would be, like, fired. It's like, what do you mean? But uh, today's, uh, you know, we're back to Aussie and Harriet days. Almost. So, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> and we've lived long enough to know that. So I feel like it's 1958 all over again. I, I don't know. And I wasn't even born then. But let me ask you also with that. So you did the Jerry Springer show. You did the Ellen show as well as and and was I forgot that Ellen was in Chicago and was Kelly and Regis in Chicago. I always thought they were in New York. No, they were. They, they were. I filled in. Uh, I travel. Okay. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I do sports everywhere, so why not do entertainment anywhere, too? Yeah. So, uh, Ellen, I ended up, what happened was um, my executive producer uh, from Jenny Jones mm-hmm. left, uh, left us, I think it was at the end of season 10, and went to become the executive producer of Queen Latifah. Hmm. And that only lasted a season. And next thing we know, he was the executive producer of Ellen. And Ellen came to Chicago once, did a big show outdoors, you know, right on the on the lakefront. And uh, I was there, and then I filled in for them in uh, Los Angeles, too. Oh, wow. So when they take you out on the road to Los Angeles or New York, for for example, if you did uh, Kelly and Regis, do they put you up there, uh, or is it, do they just give you a lump sum and say, buddy, put yourself up somewhere? No, no. Usually they have a travel department that has that all figured out. Okay, just like in the film business. Right, right. Okay. Pretty much, you know. You get you get you get your per diem and uh, your rates, your travel rates, and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they 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 um, uh, book your hotel and airfare. Okay, just like in the film business, and that's you know I was the recipient of that too. It was a good perk. They just kind of like book your hotel, your your car service, your you know everything's kind of like taken care of, and you show up and you do your job. Right. Okay. Wow. And and you did right. the Bernie Mac show. Bernie Mac. Yeah, we did the Bernie Mac show. Yeah, he was a great guy. Mm-hmm. That was a special. It was a, I think, a week of specials for HBO. Hmm. Uh, we did, we did at some nightclub. It was crazy, but uh, it was, it was really a good show. He was, he was very funny. Good to work with. Wow. So you did all these entertainment shows. How did it differ for you? Did you like the entertainment shows more than sports? Because you seem like such a sporty dude. Uh, I, I mean, you were at the Olympics. Were you there during the time of the bombing of the nineteen ninety six Olympics, or just yes. uh, not there? Oh, you were. And not only not only that that day my, my 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 I flew my wife down, and she was going to spend a few days, and I was going to take her to uh, the gymnastics venue, and and the next morning we, we were in we were in Centennial Park, mm-hmm. and we had left maybe an hour. We had left an hour before the bombing, and uh, the next morning when I woke up, I'm like, oh man. I got these phone calls that uh, you can't bring anybody. Uh, my wife was like staying at the hotel and. Which was fine. Hmm. Uh, security got really heavy right after that. Wow! Everything uh, that changed within a day—that was that was something to see, because that had to change within ten hours. <laughs> wow! Think of that. Yes. Oh yeah. Huh. All of a sudden, the manpower had shifted. You saw p- police or uniform securities everywhere. Where all I had to do was show my credentials to get in. And now there was a line, and they were scanning you and checking your bag. Wow. They didn't even have scanners. They were just going through your stuff. It was crazy. What yeah. a crazy time. You know, it's always so funny to see how reactive it gets and then nuts because it's so disorganized versus being, you know, preventative. Uh, you would think they would have certain security measures ahead of time and then they go crazy because they're not sure what, what to do to, to, you know, make it sec- secure. Well, they thought they did have security, you know, but then when, when there was a bombing, that, that just... Took it up a notch. A bit. Yeah. <laughs> Every, yeah. <laughs> and that was a tough time because you wouldn't hear those things. You know, it's like a bombing. It's like, what? In America? Right. You know, it right. was very, you know, it was the beginning of. It was. It was. Yeah. 
Who knew? Yeah. yeah. On, on a, let me ask you something. You did a lot of sports stuff, Nick. I and mean, I saw it posted on your on your Facebook thing, and you did a lot of All Star games at NHL playoffs, NBA, and and uh, and and the baseball league. These are like huge events, like like the biggies and the best. And you were in the cities that they were in, wherever they were, Los Angeles or New York or Atlanta. Yes. Yeah. I've traveled everywhere, all over the world. Um, depending on what it is. Sure. I've done boxing everywhere, mm-hmm. like UFC boxing. And, uh, and I don't know if you, if I had, if I sent you everything that I've done because I couldn't remember everything I've done. Yeah. Well, there's a lot <laughs> but, here and I don't think it's everything, but it's, uh, no, no, it's no, too much to go man, through. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, back in the, uh, nineties though, um, with baseball, I used to do Montreal Expo games uh, with the French broadcast. Hmm. And there I would be sitting with the French announcers and not understanding a word they're saying. Uh, the director would be speaking English, but, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't know what was going on. Uh, it was, but it was a good time. Uh, the French and uh, French Canadians, even when uh, uh, for hockey, too, mm-hmm. they still come in. Wow. The Habs. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. So who hires you, Nick, then for these sporting events? Are they a variety of people? Is it the studios? Is it ESPN? Is it CBS? Is it an independent producer that does these venues that has a team of stage managers uh, or assistant directors? Well, certain producers will ask for their people Mm -hmm. uh, always. If they can't get them, they'll get the people they know. So that's one way of getting in. CBS uh, does hire uh, their own. They do all the hiring, ABC, uh, ESPN, NBC. They all hire their their people. Hmm. I work for all of them. Okay. When they local, the local channels um, are done, local uh, crewing agencies here. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Some of them are nationwide. Yeah. But most of them, some of them are local to this area. Okay. And it makes it easier for them to, you know, fill up a whole broadcast schedule of 80 games, let's say, uh, of uh, White Sox away feeds, mm-hmm. just the away feeds. What happens, Nick, when, when something goes wrong? Let's say there are technical glitches. You're obviously on live television if it's a sporting event. And what if certain crew people fall sick and can't be there or have to leave at a moment's notice, has that happened to you before while you're the stage manager? Because you're basically the guy who's got to control it all, kind of like a first AD, and you may or may not know the crew so well. You know what has happened? Uh, a couple of a couple of guys have passed out. You maybe heat exhaustion. Mm-hmm. A lot of that has happened. Fortunately for myself, I, you know, knock on wood, I've been okay. <laughs> but uh, I've been around where, where, where somebody else has been able to step in and, and take that person's place. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's happened, but there, there's been somebody else there to cover for him. Okay. Uh, we lost, we lost one guy right in the middle of a hockey game. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, he just went down and that was it. <laughs> I mean, it was a heart attack and he was gone. Wow. And, uh, and it was in between periods of a hockey game. And he was in the hallway right outside the locker room. Wow. Uh, in Chicago? So it was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. Wow. It was, you know, very sad, too. But, you know, I've had shows. Now, things that would affect a show. Mm-hmm. We were doing Jenny's show one day, and it was, I, I, I don't want to say it was out of control, teens. It was, uh, 
these secret crushes uh-huh. and these two guys were together and they were in the, one of the green rooms mm-hmm. and it was time for them to, it was time for me to get them to put them on, bring them backstage. And when I walked in the green room again, they were by themselves and they were drinking uh, uh, some clear liquid out of like a, uh, a Coke bottle, a plastic bottle. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Hey, Hey, no, no drinking before the show. I'm like thinking to myself, it was like 10 in the morning. What are you yeah. guys doing? <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 man. No, no, we're athletes. We're not like that. I'm like, okay. Well, it wasn't alcohol they were drinking. By the time I got them into the studio, I said, sit right, sit right here. I'll be right back. I wasn't sure. Sit right here. I'll be right back. And I'm going to get you in position to go on stage. You know, we had already rehearsed. So I, 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 I walk away. I get some other people in position. Uh, the other, uh, stage manager goes, uh, Take a look at that guy. And he's sitting in his chair in a puddle of throw up, completely passed out. Oh, my God. And the buddy he's with, I, I look at him, I go, what were you guys drinking? And he's like, uh, uh, you know, he didn't know what to say. He was a teenager, you know. I, oh, my like, God. I'm headsets with the director going. They're like, are you ready to go, Nick? I'm like, oh, listen, uh, first segment, we're going to have to switch things around. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody call 911. <laughs> 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 It was like that. And it turned out to be they were doing some sort of kid drug or uh, liquid G, I don't know, GHB. It was, it. it was supposedly used by bodybuilders or something. I don't know. Whatever it was, it didn't, didn't look like fun because they had to go get their stomachs bumped. Oh, my God. And they survived. <laughs> yes, they survived. So so in this incident, these kids were obviously stupid little, you know, derelicts. And they got, and the show had to be stopped. And did you have a backup guest show? Yes. Well, what happened was they were the first segment. Yeah. So we just moved the second segment up. Okay. And we made it long enough to fill up, you know, eight segments of show. Oh, okay. So you got 48 minutes. You got to fill it up. Oh, wow. I see. Right. So uh, and it worked. No one, no one, no one at home knew. Nobody in the audience knew. Mm-hmm. But yeah, those things can happen. Live television, it happens all the time. Yeah, but they're taped. So, I mean, it was, I mean, you have a live audience, but they're taped shows and you have to edit them very quickly, but they're not live, live, right? No, they're not live, live, live. No. But but you only have the studio for so many hours. And so you just, so you brought, so you pushed the the second show first and then you expanded that show. No, we didn't. We we just, we pushed the, we pushed that show. That show was already going on. So we just moved the second segment. And it became the first segment yeah. with different people. Yeah. So, and those people, we added those people to, and their show, their stories that lasted a little longer. Wow. Okay. That's very and interesting. I, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what are you, I, I had no, no idea what these people were doing. I'm like, what are you guys drink? I thought they were drinking booze. Yeah. <laughs> Cause they look like kids sneaking something and I could tell they were sneaking. No, no, we're athletes. It's not booze. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, Okay. <laughs> that's funny so i'm guessing that there were a bunch of different stories with different people because they're real people that were kind of doing things behind you know the studio's oh, yeah. backs and oh yeah. I, I walked in uh, you know especially on those hookup shows you'd walk yeah. in and sometimes the green rooms would get cross mingled and all of a sudden oh i found people in the back bathroom <laughs> that i shouldn't see <laughs> <laughs> I saw things I should never have seen. <laughs> That's hysterical. <laughs> That's 
That's uh, oh my god, yeah. Oh, I never thought about that stuff, but that's really funny because I've seen these shows, but I didn't think of all that stuff. I mean, and they're crazy on the surface, so they're just as crazy behind the scenes because they're just actually really normal people just telling their fucked up story, I guess. Yes. And their stories were, their stories were fucked up. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of times um, the producers would get calls in the middle of the night, you know, the, your, your guests are in jail because <laughs> <laughs> they'd been out drinking all night. No. Or, oh, oh God. Yeah. Or, or they would, um, uh, back, uh, back in the nineties, they'd send them a round trip ticket to Chicago uh-huh. and these people would be, some of them would be smart enough to lose the return trip home by selling it. No. Yeah. So it came to be, you'd have to give them the return. You could only give them a one way trip out or a one way trip back. There are a lot of ways to deal with, the. With all the guests. Wow. That's like, it's like a dysfunctional school. Oh, it's totally dysfunctional. It was great. Yeah. (laughs) It was was totally dysfunctional. (laughs) The, the, the the geek to chic shows were always funny because these people that thought they were like geeks in high school were coming back out now, like 25 years old and thinking they are the, you know, Uh, supreme beings. And and then the audience would rip them a new one. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Um, That's hysterical. Yeah. In fact, one of one of one of our audience members, uh, because of the show, has his own um, serious Shade Forty Five uh, show on in the afternoons. His name's Rude Jude, oh. and he's out of uh, Detroit. Wow! He came to the show one day. He made a couple of smart ass comments to to the guests, mm-hmm. and uh, our producers loved them. Huh? <laughs> so they go, "You got to come back to the show." And he didn't have a job. Yeah. You know? <laughs> He was just there for the free pizza. <laughs> That's hysterical. You never know. I mean, I've got to say it all the time. Only in America does that happen. Right. It's true. Only it in America. True. You go in for free pizza and you get yourself a TV show. Or a radio show. Or Yeah. Well, Jenny Well, Jenny Jones won Star Search. If you remember that show. I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. She, was, she won Star Search? She won Star Search for Best Female Comedian. Oh, wow. I didn't remember that. And now she had her own show for like a dozen years. Yeah. And that's what that's what uh, that's where she got the interest uh, from Warner Brothers got in touch with her and said, hey, Hmm. want to do a talk show in Chicago? Sure, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? I would. I think it's great. They had Oprah. Phil Donahue was the original guy. Oh, I used to love Phil Donahue. That was the greatest show ever on the planet. Right. And yeah. yeah, just amazing. Best talk show host, him and Oprah were the two best talk show hosts ever. Yes, they were very good. But Tom Schneider was a good one. Yeah, too. you're right. Tom Schneider was great. He was out yeah. of L.A., though, wasn't he? No, that was that late, late night New York show. Oh, yeah. But I, around and, uh, I think it was in L.A. I know. I think it was in New York. I think it was in New York. Are you sure? OK, I thought he was Tom Schneider was was a was a real L.A. dude. But maybe he started yeah. in New York and then went to New, uh, L.A. I'm not sure. I'm not sure either because that was a little bit before my time. Yeah, Donahue yeah. was before my time too. Yeah, yeah. Donahue was already syndicated and out of Chicago by the time I was around. Okay. Wow. So you did all these big TV shows, hosts out there, and then every every show, especially in Ridley Field. What was it like being in Ridley Field as often as you were? Now it's it's changed. It's been revamped and so forth. But back in the uh, in the day when it was the old school Wrigley Field with all the old ushers, you remember they had like 
everybody was like 109 years old, these ushers. They've been there forever. I'd only been there once while we were shooting the weatherman. I couldn't wait to go. It was finally springtime and it was just starting. And I said, I have to see a baseball game. And everybody was 109 to 242 years old. And those are the people serving the popcorn. It was amazing. Yeah, some of them are still there. Uh, <laughs> yes, they're, they're still, some of them are still there. And uh, I think I read an article on one of the old um, souvenir program guys. It's it's his 55th year there this year. Oh well, God. it would have been. Yeah. But, you know, the uh, yeah, they, they are even though the new regime is in and the place has, you know, been cleaned and spick and span. Yeah. Uh, I like the smell of it before. It's I, I loved it. It smelled of beer and piss and it was amazing. I just it was a perfect place to sit down and watch baseball. It truly is. And, yeah. and being born in Chicago, I was I was a Cubs fan, you know, yeah. from day one, from the north side and everything. So uh, working there has always been my dream to work with Harry Carey yeah. and all, all those great guys that we've had. It was it was fantastic. And finally, finally, that they finally won, you know, when they started getting good, those those first few years in the 90s. Mm -hmm. We're kind of like, okay, what's going on? Uh, <laughs> 98 happened, and um, Sammy Sosa went on that tear. Kerry mm -hmm. Wood had that 20-strikeout game, and the Cubs finally made it to the postseason. Mm -hmm. They lost, but they made it. Yeah. And then in 2003, I thought for sure mm -hmm. we had it in the bag. Yeah. And there we were, you know, and then we lost to Miami. Nice. And they went to the World Series. So did you work those? And did you also work yes, the, uh, the Chicago, uh, um, uh, the, the Blackhawks when they won the Stanley cup? Yes. Yes. In fact, I think, uh, the name, I think it was a 10 year anniversary of the first cup. Oh, okay. I think that was, it was June 9th or something like that. I think it was okay. Right around there. Wow. That was a special time. Like for, for them to, when they won that whole thing, that was a big deal. That was a big deal. Yeah. That was and when the Cubs won, that was a big deal, mm -hmm. too. I, you know, the only thing that would have made that better is if they had won it here. Yeah. But the fact that they won it, that was all I needed to see. I've seen every one of my teams have won, so I'm completely satisfied. Yeah. I was there for the six years of the Bulls' great years. You know, wow. that was unbelievable. Wow. And, and, and I was there for the last 10, too, which haven't been so good. Yeah, but you were there during the heyday, and you're working those things, and you even worked the Rose Bowl, and, and the, I mean, right. you've done all that stuff. Everything I did. Yeah. I, I really, I really enjoyed doing college football. Even I even enjoyed doing college football more than NFL. Hmm. It was, it was, it was a crazy caravan, a weekly uh, parade of all of us getting together on Thursday night from different parts of the country in some podunk town yeah. in a hotel lobby bar. Uh, <laughs> it was just great times. <laughs> wow, I'm so jealous, and now I want to like have your. I wish I was your assistant. <laughs> it sounds great. And you didn't have to look great. You can wear any clothes as long as you felt comfortable. As long as you could do your job, you're great. That's true. That's true. In fact, mm. when I first started, and when you talk about what to wear, when I first started in the early 90s, my next door neighbors were wondering, what, what, is, what do I do for a living? Because mm -hmm. I'm always in shorts and a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and they were, you know, why is he in shorts and a Hawaiian shirt and, and, a, and a briefcase? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I've switched it up now. No more Hawaiian shirts, and I got a backpack. <laughs> yeah, back then everybody looked like the Blues Brothers. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Okay, so my last question and and thoughts and and I want to know what it felt like working the Academy Awards. 
When you got flown out and you did the Academy Awards, was it at the Kodak Theater or was it at the Shrine Auditorium? Yeah, the Kodak. The Kodak. So it was at the Kodak, yes, yeah. What was it um, like being there and, and being the stage director? Now, how many stage directors were there and were yeah. you positioned in different areas if you were several? There's about, thir- there's about 13 of them. Wow. It, it was not, it, now, now you got to remember, I did not do the Oscars per se. Mm. I wasn't even, my pass didn't even allow me in the Kodak theater. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's a different show. We're all, uh, I'm doing the red carpet show mm-hmm. for ABC. Okay. Which is next to the red carpet show for E, which is next to another red carpet show and red carpet. Yeah. There's like six shows. But ours was, you know, uh, more fashion orientated. We'd, we'd get uh, Mila Kunis. Uh, what are you wearing? Yeah. Uh, that kind of thing. It depends on who they were talking to. Robin Roberts was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mila, uh, Maria Menounos, mm-hmm. another nice Greek girl. Yes. She was there. Miss Boston. Tim Gunn from Queer Guy for the Straight Guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Queer, Queer Guy for the Straight Guy. Yeah. They, he was there. And they were the three hosts. So we had to get them into different places. And there's quite a bit of, few, but everybody is very coordinated. Yeah. All rehearsal days are done with stand-ins. Oh, my God. So all rehearsal days are done with stand-ins. A stand-in, a lanyard around their neck and a big sign in cardboard saying who they are or who they're supposed to be. Yeah. You know, so. That's so you know, weird. would say some guy would be there, Brad Pitt, and another guy would be there, uh, whoever they are, Dick Cage, whoever would be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and whoever, and that's how they do it. Uh, when we do, um, I do this show every year now called the NFL Honors. Hmm. It's a, an award show. Yeah. And in the audience, we we put a picture of everybody where they're sitting, a picture of that person yes. in their seat. Like the awards. So, yeah. Right. So they know where they are. So I, everything's very precise. Mm-hmm. And it works, you know, it works like a clock. It's, it's If everybody does their job, boom. Yeah. It's perfect. It's like a like a film set. Everything is it's very militant. It's everybody's very organized. It's from the top down, and you are on the top side of that level, getting it organized. Does anything ever spill over in terms of sound or camera angles from from one coverage, from for example your vantage point of working for ABC to CBS when it comes to those award shows or or in the NFL um, awards? The shows are uh, specifically set up with um, directors who are specific to award shows. Oh, wow. They really are. Um, Glenn Weiss is a great one. Mm-hmm. He uh, does a lot of the music awards. Now he's doing the Academy Awards. Huh. So from going from music award shows yeah. uh, to award, just regular award shows... There's a little bit of difference, but they still have their own same kind of work schedule, same sort of clock that you've got to be precise here at one point. You've got to be at the podium at one point. This person's got to be in their seat. This person's got to be stage left. Mm -hmm. Person's got to be downstage right. So once you get that all figured out, you know where everybody goes. Hmm. It works great. That's amazing. Yeah. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of times there's barely any talking on headsets because we all know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, you got this person, you got that. Yeah, yeah, yeah everybody's good. And, and all the director will say, cue them out, cue them, cue them. And boom, we're cueing them, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's definitely no stopping. The pressure is on, but you guys are all professionals and you keep it going. Right. Wow, 30 right. years <laughs> of doing this. And obviously you've mastered it and, and you're in demand and you're always working. And it seems like you're going to work until you decide you're going to retire, Nick. From what it seems like, people want veteran stage managers, people, you know, who are who are pros. Right. 
Right. Wow. Good on you. That's true. Good on you. And and you're in a comfort zone because you're in Chicago, kind of like the middle of America. So you can fly out to the bigger cities as needed. It's not a big deal. You're not flying so much coast to coast, kind of like uh, it's an easy, easy access with, you know, from Chicago here. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of times I'll be doing what was it? Uh, There was a Saturday. uh, The last award show I did was um, Country Music Awards, Mm. I think, uh, at uh, in Vegas. Oh, yeah. And and since it's a West Coast start time, it was like uh, five o'clock in the afternoon. We were done by seven. I was on a plane at nine (laughs) and at the ballpark in Chicago the next morning. Oh, my God. (laughs) You're kidding. It's crazy like that. No, no. I mean, a lot of times I'll be working a a morning news shift. Local news here in Chicago is. You know, it's big. Everybody watches news. So there's a lot of news. Yeah. Uh, WGN now produces 61 and a half hours of news a week. Holy moly. So they go on the air at 4 a.m. So I could go there and do a couple hours of news before I go and do a talk show or uh, maybe an evening um, baseball game. Huh. That's amazing. So, okay. so they would only need you for a few hours to fill in a certain shift then, if that happens. Well, no, you still get the whole shift, but, you know, once it's over, you can leave. Yeah. Wow. So a lot of times you can squeeze in. I can squeeze in. I can squeeze in like uh, morning news, a talk show, and then I can catch a flight <laughs> to my next job, <laughs> which I've done. <laughs> see, that fascinates me. I knew, I knew nothing about this occupation. I thought it was fascinating. I would see posts and I'm like, this is really interesting. Like, how does he go to all these places and what does he do? And hearing these stories, it's like, you know, I was I did a lot of films and stuff and it's very much the same routine. But this is crazy. This is like, it's wild. It is wild. You're on well, your toes you know, all day. A lot, a lot of my coworkers, you know, especially the ones that are especially in sports, mm-hmm. they, they, they don't necessarily live in a, a, a metropolitan city. They're from uh, Columbia, Missouri. Mm. I have one friend, she's in Columbia, Missouri. Her first uh, her, her first job is to get to the airport because her job is somewhere else. Yeah. It's never home. Yeah. So she's always flying. You know, there are people that never do. They live in small towns and- Yeah. That's why I love living in a big city, Chicago or Toronto. We we have where there's a lot of perks in big cities and there's a lot of work and venues. And, you know, then there's other venues in other big cities. But it's nice to be in a big city and kind of like just drive to the job. And, and it's easy. Oh, especially. Yeah. You know, I mean, I have a family, so it's it's nice. Otherwise, yeah. I wouldn't be home at all. Yeah. Yeah. And being on the road is fun. But you know what? After this uh, past couple of months of. Uh, self-isolation yeah i think i've uh i think i've cured myself of my addiction to jet fumes yeah (laughs) (laughs) i really don't i don't really don't miss it that much yeah yeah well it's also nice because chicago is everybody with a a decent house in chicago there's you know it's a very homey feeling to be there you know i've been there about a dozen times and i've always liked it i've always thought if i would think about moving to chicago it just made me feel comfortable it is. It is very. It's a good town like that. It really is, and, and and the largest population of Greeks in the United States. Yes, I know that. Yeah, I went to Greek town. <laughs> I've been there. I've eaten on Halstead. I love the restaurants, but they're also in the Gold Coast and River North and in other areas as well. So it's and I enjoy it. It's it's fun. It's a good it's a yeah, good city. It is. Nick, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for for shedding a little light on on something that I'm sure a lot of people don't know much about. 
Oh, all right. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I certainly, I loved it. I'm certainly glad to be here. It was great talking to you, actually meeting you and talking to you. Yeah. I mean, well, we've been Facebook friends for what years now? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. My my Chicago Greek is my brother from another city. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to call you soon. Uh, I will. I will let you know how things go. I really appreciate no problem. this. Thank you. This concludes our conversation with stage manager Nick Jorgesis. Until next time, this is Marco Kiris signing off. Back to that same old place, sweet home, Chicago.